everyone, and welcome to the Learn and Lead podcast. The Learn and Lead podcast is for educators by educators, and we want to bring the world of Arizona public education to you and our thousands of members across the state. Our objective is to provide a platform for the voices of our educator leaders, along with some amazing community allies, and have conversations about those education topics that are on everyone's mind. Hello, everyone. Happy International Women's Month. Uh, my name is Amber Gould. I am your Arizona Education Association State Treasurer. And I'm Carrie Wolf, your Learn and Lead Specialist. And because it is Women's History Month, we are looking at FMLA, or the Family Medical Leave Act. You know, I'm really excited to talk about this because I feel like sometimes you can kind of get lost in the legal language. The legalese. Yeah, (laughs) and so thinking about, you know, making this human and making it applicable to educators, I'm excited to, to chat. Oh, good. Well, with that being said, I normally start off our podcast with a joke, um, but I feel like FMLA isn't something we could really joke about a whole lot. So um, I have a bit of trivia for you. All right. I guarantee um, I'll be bad at it. I mean, likely, but but I was a little shocked myself. Okay. So there are, there are 193 countries in the United Nations. Okay. Okay. How many of those do not have paid maternity leave? Hmm. Out of 193. Do not have yeah, it? Yeah, how many of them do not have paid maternity leave? A hundred. Wow, you are so close. It's actually eight. You were not close. I lied. So only eight? Only eight countries in the UN, in the United Nations, do not do have not? paid maternity leave. Yeah. Oh. And um, the US is the only one that's rated as like a high income country. That is not on that list. There's also like Papua New Guinea and a couple like island nation kind of deals but we're the only high income country that does not have paid maternity leave. Oh, that's not what we want to be number one in. No, no, it is not. But it is something that, you know, a lot of people are really looking at right now, which is really, really good because um, we know that family medical leave is a big part of the world of education. It just, it is. When you have a profession that is majority women, we're going to come across that quite a bit. And to to that point, I mean, looking at paid paternity leave too and parental leave in general. So looking at those pieces um, are something that we're going to do. So to that point, do you know what the Family Medical Leave Act actually is? Or do you have a good grounding in that? I feel like I have a pretty good grounding in it. Oh, good. I'm going to pretend like I have students listening though. So okay. I'm going to explain what it is really quick. Um, so FMLA is basically that federal law in the United States that provides eligible employees with up to 12 weeks of unpaid, but job protected leave per year with certain family and medical reasons, which sounds fine and dandy, except for the paid, not paid part, right? right. Um, and that not all employees are covered because there's actually some like details that go with it. Like if you, if you are, you know, part of a business that has less than 50 employees, they don't have to offer it. Um, if you haven't been working at the same employer for X amount of time, then that's another issue. So we are starting to see a lot of equity issues when it comes to accessing and utilizing FMLA, um, especially now that ESSER funds are running out. So when we kind of look at those equity issues, I feel like there's some some buckets, right? Some major areas that we can really analyze when it comes to equity. Um, and the first is coverage. 
So like I kind of said earlier, an employee has to have worked for an employer for at least 12 months. And so I know that on my campus, like when we have ESPs that come in um, as instructional aides or working in our cafeteria or things like that, they're not always employed um, the full year. So some of them will like leave during some like things like that, different things occur. And so they wouldn't be eligible. And especially if they're part time. Do you remember on your campus where there are a lot of part-time um, education support professionals? Um, yes. Actually, half of the education support professionals on my campus were half-time. Wow. So, yeah, none of them would be eligible if um, they needed FMLA for whatever reason. You know, that's so um, terrible because I know that there are at least a couple of the education support professionals that I was privileged enough to work with who were working part-time in the schools because they were trying to um, find additional money for their kids to have daycare and finding money for them to do extracurricular activities. So they were parents who were actively choosing to work for our schools um, because they thought it would be meaningful work, and now they're not able to access this even though they're doing work for their family. Yeah. I mean, it's not just FMLA. There are many benefits that they miss out on because, um, and some of it is very deliberate to keep people at part-time too, Um, not just in, you know, education, but in a lot of places, a lot of businesses out there and whatnot. Um, The other piece with coverage, and I've come across this a lot working working as a, a union leader in my district, but that if you and your spouse work for the same employer, you will be limited to a combined total of 12 work weeks of leave per year. And I can't even walk down my hallway without running into someone who's married to someone else in my in my district. I'm <laughs> I'm married to someone else in my district. Like I think, okay, I was actually thinking about this because there's like there's myself and my spouse, and then we have um, Jen who's married to Alex who teaches at another school. We have um, we have Eric who's married to April on our campus. You go upstairs. <laughs> just this is just my building, right? We have. Um, uh, Lydia, who's married to Mike in the PE department, and then we have Kristen, who's married to Corey, our theater teacher. Like, the list goes <laughs> on. I can't even get out of our building. But yet, if something were to happen, or if someone were to uh, decide to have a child, they, they couldn't take leave together. Like, it's it's a weird situation. And, I mean, I don't know about you, but I know a lot of married couples in the world of education who also work at the same district or even the same school or the same building. <laughs> I mean, it's an easy commute. If you have a partner to commute with, you can ride in the HOV lane. All right, that's true, that's well, true. Well, it makes sense that there would be so many people who have spouses in education just because we spend so many hours at work. Like, it makes sense that that would be somewhere where you would potentially meet someone if you're spending, you know, 80 hours a week there. <laughs> I mean, that's true. I mean, technically, I did I did meet um, my spouse at a school, but it was in, it was in our high school. And, uh, you know, he was kind of a jerk at the time. So we started dating much later. But okay, but to that point, it's kind of funny, because um, there were a couple times over the past couple years where like we'd, with his role and what he does, and what I was doing with union work and whatnot, we'd end up at like board meetings together and be like date night. And then we'd be a little sad. But You know, the other thing that's interesting about that exclusion is the fact that I'm thinking about if this was a medical issue, right, and your spouse had a serious medical condition and needed help, you might not have access to the time to help and support them through their medical issue, which is pretty astonishing. Yep. (laughs) Yeah, so that that issue of coverage is a major equity issue that needs to be 
um, that needs to be talked about more within FMLA. Well, and there's even limitations on how the leave can be taken, right? Like you have to give advance notice to your district. There has to be some kind of medical documentation provided. Um, and districts may require their employees to use all of their paid leave before they're allowed to start using other types of oh leave. yeah a lot of places do that like we have our 10 days mm-hmm. and this is something we've been really discussing in our district because we have to use our our 10 days a year before we can do fmla but then let's say that's first semester then we're out of our 10 dl days our discretionary leave and so when next semester hits we start being docked pay well, and anyone who has been around ch- young children knows that they get sick a lot, especially in those first couple of years when they're developing their immune system or going to daycare for the first time, right? They're exposed to all these new germs. And so then you're out of leave for that. And I think there's something that non-educators may not know. Um, in other professions, there's like a multiple variety of types of leave. In education, some districts only have one type and it's called general leave. And that's your sick time. You're, you know, you're, you're quote unquote vacation, right? Um, Whatever you might need is all in those eight to 10 days that are usually granted at the beginning of a year. Um, And the other thing that I find interesting about this is that so many of my coworkers who have, you know, gone through this process of planning a family, who have had a kid during the school year, they end up having to use short-term disability to cover some of the pay gaps. Like imagine that, like using your short-term disability, knowing you're not going to get your full check, just a partial check, and then even that not really making ends meet. Yeah, that's that's not ideal. Well, and then it's like not everything can be planned. Like you, if something goes wrong and you need surgery, um, I've had so many. I've had so many friends that are like, well, you know, I'm in a lot of pain, but I'm gonna wait till summer to have the surgery so I don't miss out school on school. And it's oh, just yeah. like, okay, so you're gonna go through months of severe pain because you don't have the days or you don't want to miss school because that's the the culture that we have right Right. like the idea that you know um you here on uh, a bad day is still better than having a sub here on you know a good like that mentality is bogus absolutely and i think as union members we have to model that that's not okay and we're not gonna we can't continue to put up with it right yeah (laughs) so yeah i mean even just how it's granted is an issue. And then when we start looking at that stigma piece behind it, so, you know, we already we already know that schools either don't have enough money um, to allow for subbing or there's not enough subs available, like we can't hire people to be subs. And so kids are already split into overfilled classes or teachers give up their prep to sub. Um, I, I know in my district we have a specific subbing committee to even look at some of these issues. I mean, it's just... It's just crazy. And then what happens is we start to get into these little like infighting arguments, right? Where we have this idea that if you take a day, you're seen as less committed or that, or it could happen that it limits, it limits future opportunities. And I think we see a lot of that, especially at the high school level, because, you know, we talked about earlier how this is a a profession that is majority women. And so when we look at that, women do tend to take more days off due to childcare. Um, And so that just tends to be the thing. And when you look at some of the data, I looked this up, um, 35.9% of all high school principals are women, while 64.1% are men in a profession that's majority women. Wow, that's interesting. I bet the numbers would be pretty um, shocking if you looked at superintendents as well. Yeah, probably, but I did not. Um, (laughs) So this is the data that I brought to the table. Um, But yeah, it's just... 
this idea of, you know, if a woman takes a lot of days off, then they're not seen as being a leader on campus or that they don't get tapped for leadership opportunities. And so all of these kind of roll together into this idea that, you know, now we have more men in these leadership roles and it continues to create that cycle, right? And I think there's also so kind men, of men, we need you to be our allies in this. <laughs> I think there's also a stigma even in our union that we need to address. And that's um, a lot of times as union leaders, it's really quick and easy to assume that because someone has kids, they're too busy to be part of this work. And that is absolutely not true. Oh my gosh. Do not make that assumption on behalf of right? people. Like, oh my gosh. You do not know what's going on in someone's life. And this kind of work, union work, advocating for yourself and for others can be such an amazing experience like we don't need to assume anything about what someone is a willing or able to do I mean I think our president kind of defies those expectations she is a mom and she is the president of the largest labor union in education in this state and she's part of the leadership for three million members across this entire country I mean she definitely defies that idea that you're limited based on if you have a, a family or a kid in fact you know, I think that she's even talked about how much that spurs her on to take further action. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I'd say she's a bit of a badass, President <laughs> Garcia. Absolutely. Not that we're biased. <laughs> but um, yeah, we I mean, we have those gaps all over the place. And so when we're talking about equity, once again, this the stigma needs to be addressed as well. You know, I had a principal um, my first year teaching who made a comment because a bunch of the, a lot of the staff was new and was younger. Um, the school had really high turnover of staff and there just happened to be one year where there were five or six people who were going to be out for maternity leave at, or for, well, for <laughs> FMLA um, at some point in time during the year. And she made a comment about like, oh, we need to like figure out what's in the water. Like what's happening? Like, why is this th poor me? Woe is me. I have to figure out how to deal with this. Instead of there, you know, being this joy of like, oh, congratulations. Like, that's amazing that you are, you know, moving into growing your family and how incredible and how can I support you? Instead and of you're a burden. Instead <laughs> of like, oh no, now I got to figure out what to do, not to, what to do with your classes. Wow. And, and that's, and that creates that stigma. And that's that tone from the top piece too. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh, so what's another equity issue facing FMLA? I think the other piece is that, um, you know, a lot of times educators feel like and we've kind of touched this already. Like you have to postpone your healthcare decisions because you don't want to, you know, take up the time or use sub days or have to plan for a sub. And so sometimes when you do that, it can lead to bigger complications. Um, I had a friend who took, who didn't want to take time off to do a back surgery that they very much needed. Um, they had a surgery planned um, way back in August that they planned for December because they were waiting those min that many months to wow. actually have their surgery. And this is for their back. I mean, that's a pretty you know, needed vital. thing. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so about um, a month and a half in, um, they, they were in so much pain that they had to have emergency surgery to address the issue um, rather than having it, you know, be something that was non-emergent. And it was because they had strained, continued to strain their back that entire time while trying to make healthcare decisions around what was convenient for other people. Jeez. 
Well, and we do that all the time. Well, and educators, I mean, we're not the best at like going to the doctor to begin with anyway and following through on uh, making sure that we're healthy, both physically and like mental health too, which is another issue when you're not able to take days for, for mental health, right? Um, right. And so we come across this situation where people are literally like, how many friends have you had that have like planned summer babies so oh, that way they can take more yeah. time? So yeah. many. It's it's like every other educator that I've talked to that has started a family. It's like they try to plan that. And you can't always plan that. Right. Right. And well, and when in that planning process, um, a lot of parents are struggle with the insurance costs, right, to pay for dependents. I mean, those costs are so high, sometimes it's cheaper to stay home and to leave the profession. And so I've seen that too, where parents have to make a financial decision to leave the profession because they can't afford to be a parent and pay for childcare or pay for health insurance. Um, I mean, even other medical things, um, you know, there's a member that I was talking to last year who's in Cartwright, who was saying that her medical costs were so large for a procedure that she was having on her hand that she chose to do it without like going without full anesthesia. She only what? did local anesthesia no, no, for no. surgery on her hand. <gasps> when I tell you, when she told me that story and she shared that story with her local union president, there were big reactions. The fact that people are having to make decisions about their health and their bodies based on inequitable access to healthcare and to time off and all of these things within education is a shame. Um, and she's a fantastic teacher. She teaches kindergarten through eighth grade all in one day. Of course she does. Okay. Of course she does. <laughs> kindergarten oh at the end of the day as I well. Can't, I can't, <laughs> as the kids say, I can't even. I, that, that blows my mind. Oh my gosh. Wow. And this, I mean, that's one story of so many. It's right. so crazy. So, okay. So that brings us to kind of our next part is like, what can we do about this? Because I mean, we can't have these horror stories of people, you know, having surgery without anesthesia. Oh my gosh. Or like postponing surgeries to where things get even worse or like having, it's, it's just a mess right now. And so basically at local and state levels, we do have a lot of, um, a lot of affiliates like just across the nation that do have the power to collectively bargain and have fought for contracts that include family leave. And so we have that piece going on where we have bargaining occurring. We also have um, unions at the local, state, and national level that have lobbied for state legislation. And we've seen um, we've seen some of that actually come through and provide paid um, family medical leave uh, for people, which is amazing. Just needs to be a national thing, right? And so... I would love to be one of the, you know, 120 some countries around the world that provide paid maternity leave and health benefits by law. That would be great. Um, well, and I'm sure people are wondering, like, well, how would we do that, you know, with the school year? And like, I just want to say, like, that's why we need to be at the table to have the conversation and to brainstorm creative solutions for how to make this work in education where we're not taking away people's opportunity to be a human being before they enter that building. Yeah. Well, especially, you know, if you, you know, went to Canada, you'd have 17 weeks of paid leave. What? Yeah. Mexico, six weeks. U.S., zero. So, you know, <laughs> maybe make some travel arrangements. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but, okay, so while a national policy doesn't actually exist yet, 
Um, establishing one has been a priority of the Biden administration. And so we're really starting to see a lot of movement on that. Uh, I was reading that U.S. Senator Tammy Duckworth from Illinois recently reintroduced the bipartisan ESP and School Support Staff Family uh, Leave Act with U.S. Representative Sean Kasten from uh, also Illinois. This is um, one of the ones that uh, Congressman Raul Grijalva um, was a co-sponsor for it, too. So there's some okay. Arizona in that as well. Because right now, as a result of their schedules and limited school year, we have a lot of education support professionals that don't meet that requirement of um, you know, working full time or having, I think it's like a thousand two hundred, uh, one thousand two hundred and fifty hour threshold um, to qualify for unpaid leave under FMLA. So not only are these, I mean, we have a lot of hourly employees who would not get paid at all, um, but then they don't even have the rights to have their job protected right now. And so this um, ESP and School Support Staff Family Leave Act would close this gap and provide basic leave benefits to ESPs. Um, so that they deserve so that they don't lose their job if they have to go on FMLA. So what's exciting about that is actually in Delaware, the Delaware State Education Association actually helped push through this law. And um, they now have 12 weeks of paid family leave. Paid what? family leave for educators. This was the, um, the Delaware State Education Association. Go Delaware. I know. So it, it's one of those things that we just have to keep pushing for. Um, you know, talk to your representatives, talk to your leg legislatures, because this this is absolutely something that could happen, and we've seen it in other states, and like you know, majority of countries in the world. You know, something to consider. <laughs> oh. I think the other thing too is um, sometimes it can be a little daunting, right? Thinking about FMLA and how to make that a reality. So until we get that paid leave passed through our legislature, um, there are some things you should know to protect yourself, right? To know your rights. Um, with FMLA, you're allowed to take up to 12 work weeks or three months of unpaid job protected leave, right, in a 12-month period. And these are some of the reasons that would qualify you for FMLA. If you recently gave birth to a child and you need to take care of your child, or if you have a newly adopted or foster child that you need to tend to. You can also get FMLA if you need to care for a spouse, a son, a daughter, or a parent with a serious health condition. Um, and then... Finally, any kind of qualifying exigencies. Um, so, for example, if your spouse, son, daughter, or parent is on active duty or they're called to active duty status as a member of the National Guard Reserves um, in support of a military operation, then they actually also have oh, access to that. I didn't FLA. know that. Huh. And it does make it um, unlawful for your employees, employer to stop you from using your rights protected of FMLA. Um, they can't fire you for going FMLA. They can't discriminate you against F for using FMLA. And what discriminate means is it has to adversely affect your job or your pay in some way. So, if, for example, your valuation was to suffer because you took time off for FMLA, that would be something that you can show is a problem, especially if you're losing out on 301 money because of what your evaluation said. So there has to be something that you can show that this has been detrimental to you in order for it to be considered discriminating against you for the FMLA. So interesting, um, we had to negotiate this a little bit ago because we had this weird thing with our performance pay, our 301 money, where like if you only worked a certain percentage of the year, then you didn't get the full amount. Well, that was very much, uh, that very much negatively impacted those that took FMLA uh, a majority of those were um, people who went on maternity leave. 
And so we, we saw a lot of that. We were able to fix that through our negotiations process. So the union really took that on in my district. But what can, what can people do if they feel they are discriminated against? Well, I think the first thing is to talk to someone, a site, your site rep, your local association. Um, And if you guys can't resolve it at that level, then please reach out to AEA through the help desk or even reach out to the Arizona Department of Labor. Um, These are federal guidelines that have to be followed. So if you're in doubt about whether or not they are being followed by your employer, please reach out and just make sure double check. There's some other things um, that I want to mention outside of just, you know, the the legal stuff for FMLA. But legal stuff is so much fun, Carrie. <laughs> you know, one of the things that I feel like we don't talk about enough as well is kind of advocating for yourself before, during, and after if you're planning for a family. So one of the things that is not as talked about is that you, if you are pregnant, have the right to request workplace accommodations. So you may already know that if you have um, some sort of disability or some kind of injury, you may have um, worked, asked for accommodations from your district before to um, put you on light duty or to give you more breaks or whatever that looks like. But you can also ask for those accommodations if you're pregnant. So this could mean um, that you you know, have time and a plan for lactation, right? It could mean that you are allowed to sit, you know, um, if you're on your feet all day. Um, This could be something where you negotiate um, with your employer around other needs that you have, especially if you have something related to a medical condition. Like what would make things easier for you that would not be an undue hardship on your employer? Before you go out on leave, um, if it is for family planning, um, and do take the time to talk to your administrator about lactation and what your plan is and where you are going to feel comfortable to do that. Um, Sometimes are like some of the rooms that people are in, um, not really classrooms because I feel like classrooms all have locks on them at this point, right? Because of um, school safety issues, but some offices do not. So where can you find space that you can close the door, lock it. That's not a bathroom because I've heard of that where people are having to go and do their um, lactation in the bathroom, which is ridiculous. Where is a space that you can go and you can feel the privacy that you want? You can take a second to meet your needs as well as to do what you need to do. Space needs to be appropriate. Yes, absolutely. You know, at AEA, um, we have a lactation space. It's brand new. Um, and it is beautifully decorated. It's a calm space. It's a quiet space. And anyone can go in there and take a moment and to lactate and do all the things that you need to do to take care of your body. The other thing that I see a lot with um, some of my friends is when they're planning for a family, the reason that they often choose to have a kid in the summer is because they don't want to do subplans. And I just think it's ridiculous that we ask for pregnant or expecting parents to go out of their way to work harder when they're trying to grow a human being and trying to take care of that (laughs) human being to work extra hours to put together these sub plans for someone they that's going to take their class over for the time that they're out and sub plans are the worst the worst (laughs) and I think that we need to do better of supporting each other and advocating for each other like if you know that there's an expectant parent down the hall from you that's spending hours and hours late trying to put together these plans, you know, I think we need to be better of advocating for, hey, 
is there a coach that could come and help support on some of this stuff? Is there a way that the admin could help support on this? Is there a way that your team can work together on this? It shouldn't be up to the person who is growing a human being to put together these plans for an unknown amount of times they have to have ready at any moment's notice. The exasperation right now on <laughs> Carrie's face is so extreme, you all. Oh. Like, I wish you could see it. It like, was like my face earlier when she was talking about the <laughs> anesthesia piece. Like, oh. <laughs> it's just so irritating. I mean, there's got to be a better way to do that. And other than just, you know, I've seen a lot of people just go buy maternity sub plans on Teachers Pay Teachers. Um, there's got to be some better solutions that we can work on together. That might be a, a fun learn and lead project. okay all right I see where you're going are you volunteering to lead this uh no but I'm sure I can delegate and I can help you pick people so (laughs) all right you heard it we're looking for people to help us come up with better ideas for expectant moms for sub planning oh goodness all right um the other thing that I want to talk about is that um you know there's a pretty high correlation right, between um, mental health issues and issues that women experience, right, whether that's PCOS, whether that is pregnancy, right, whether that is even just the ebbs and flow of the menstrual cycle. So one of the things that I want to lift up in this Women's History Month is when you're advocating for yourself, be sure that you know what mental health supports are available in your district. A lot of districts have like an EAP program where you have like, you know, six to eight free sessions per issue, that you can take advantage of for you and your dependents. Um, and sometimes this can also be an opportunity for you to advocate for more resources for mental health, especially with all of the things that are happening around burnout, around secondary trauma right now for educators. How can you as a union work together to address some of those mental health issues and advocate for more resources? Absolutely. Well, and just being able to take a day for mental health is huge, but that stigma piece keeps coming back. And even like when I have so many people that are still coming in and they have like all of these symptoms that just two years ago, we would have been like, nope, go home right now. Um, but now we're coming in with them because that's, that's the expectation, right? And so we have people that are coming to school sick, just like kids are coming in sick and people are coming in sick to their jobs all across the country. But we just came off of a, of a worldwide pandemic people. And so focusing in on on like not being able to take days and the stigma behind it just it blows my mind because we're going right back to our old habits that brought us to chaos to begin with you know it takes me back to the first episode of our podcast where Marisol was talking about unions being there for all aspects of our members lives rather than just when they're in a build school building and just making sure that we are having conversations about the issues that happen in the community do affect what happens in schools. Speaking of which, um, there's one more thing I want to highlight and then I'll get off my soapbox. (laughs) Um, So as part of your member benefits, you have access to an attorney referral program and that can include family law. So if you're going through like a guardianship or adoption process, um, you have access to the attorney referral program And if you are like a new parent and you're wanting to update your will or your estates planning or anything like that, you also can have access to the attorney referral program. What that means is that you'll get two free 30-minute consultations with an attorney who specializes in that kind of law. And that's per membership year, which is September to September. And then 
you'll also get 30% reduction in the attorney's hourly rate as they help you move forward with your plans. So just something to think about, you know, if you are wanting to take advantage of some of those member benefits. And of course, they also there's also member benefits for financial consultations that you can get through NEAMB.com. So there are some opportunities and some things we wanted to highlight for you, um, especially in light of Women's History Month, and make sure that you know that you are not alone in some of these issues. Absolutely. Well, thank you for sharing that. That was a great soapbox. I'm, I'm glad you stood <laughs> up on it. So with that, I do have some homework for you. And so here's what I want you all to know. I want you to be able to look up your district process for FMLA because being able to access it, there might be different steps um, depending on where you're at, what school you're at, what district you're at. But know these steps in case you or a colleague ever need to access it. And I know someone's thinking this question, Amber. So how do I find that? Well, you can look it up in your uh, maybe teacher guide or um, education support professional guide that you have with your district or through uh, your governing board policies. Also, feel free to talk to your HR director and just know it in advance. There's also a good chance that your local president knows that process as well at this point. So um, you have a lot of resources, but just know in advance. So that way, if you need to help out someone or if you need it yourself, you already have uh, the knowledge to get rolling on it. We want to give a special shout out to Josh Adkins from Paradise Valley Education Association for composing our theme song and another shout out to Carrie Wolf for producing each episode. If you want more information on other Learn and Lead opportunities and professional development made for educators and by educators, check out ArizonaEA.org slash professional dash excellence or reach out to your local president. If you're not currently a member and want to be part of creating opportunity for all students through the power of public education, you can join the Arizona Education Association by going to ArizonaEA.org backslash join. And that's the bell.